0: Welcome ladies and gentlemen to Supply Chain Radio. I'm Boris Felgendrea and you're listening to part two of a three-part interview I conducted with Mick Jones, who held senior-level supply chain executive positions at Lenovo, the largest PC maker in the world. During the first part of my interview with Mick, we talked about supply chain management as a career, how he himself got started in the business, what allowed him to succeed there and how the field has changed over time. Today. We go a little deeper into how Mick and his team managed the global supply chain of Lenovo during a time when the company experienced massive global growth. And when an organization the size of Lenovo grows at such a fast rate, the supply chain becomes the focal point. And Mick was right in the center of that focal point. But to get us started, I quickly want to replay a part of the interview in which Mick describes how in 2008 he was working for DHL when he got the infamous call from Lenovo. A company that at that time wasn't at all the household name that it is today.
1: I just literally just finished the last week of my MBA course in my hotel room in Belgium and I got a phone call from somebody that sort of said, you know, you won't know who we are. We're a Chinese company. We've just bought Hmm. IBM PC division and we'd like you to come and talk to us about working for Lenovo.
0: So Mick made the leap and started to work for Lenovo. And it didn't take very long until Mick's know-how of managing and reorganizing a global logistics network was put to a serious stress test.
1: Probably a year and a half into my career in Lenovo, we we were a very regional organization. And after about a year and a half, it became very obvious that we needed to have some central functions. We needed to have a central manufacturing function, a central procurement function, and a central logistics function. And my old boss, Jerry, used to sort of say, you know, the three central pillars of the organization, manufacturing, procurement, logistics. And uh, Jerry Smith asked me to sort of create that central logistics function. And I think that was both the biggest challenge and also probably the biggest success for me because I had to take some very disparate regional teams and regional individuals who spent, you know, probably a good deal of time. Being the reason and the rationale that everything was going wrong in the organisation, and things weren't going wrong, but it you know every time a delivery failed, it was logistics. Every time a, a customer rang, it was logistics. So taking that group of people and creating this sort of central function, and completely overhauling the network, just looking at the network, a massive network at the time, and the business was probably you know a third of the size it is now, but looking at a massive network and really trying to re configure and optimize that whole network from a series of regional networks into one big global network. So, that, mm-hmm. so creating the team, focusing the team, refocusing the team, refi- refocusing a team that had spent a good deal of time sort of, you know, back on their haunches, refocusing and realigning the network, doing things like we did with you guys, you know, bringing in the obvious things like visibility systems that we didn't have.
0: To completely reorganize Lenovo's logistics functions from a very regional to a centralized organization was a major undertaking for mixed team. But the market conditions required it, so it had to be done. And then suddenly the market conditions completely changed again and Lenovo had to switch back to a regional model.
1: Probably four years after I set up this big global organization, we moved back to a very regional organization for a very good reason. We had to push some of the capability out of the regions, because the regions we had were so very different. China, Latin America, America, Europe, they were going through that whole economic downturn at the time. And we had to sort of focus on different regions in different ways. You know, during the economic downturn, you had a Chinese economy that was booming. You had a BRICS economy, Brazil and India, that was booming. But you had an American and a European economy that was struggling. So we really Mm -hmm. had to have a very different approach to logistics and to supply chain in each of those regions. So we moved back to a very regional structure, very positive regional structure. We kept a lot of the power and the intellect in a central team who could advise the region, but we sort of allowed the regions to focus on what was very, very important
0: to them. What Mick just described here—going from a regional to a centralized and then back to a regional organization in just four years—to anyone who doesn't know the world of logistics and supply chain, that probably sounds completely insane. I mean, think about it. Companies don't flip back and forth between polar opposite marketing strategies or sales strategies like that, but in the world of supply chain, that's not considered insane at all. It has actually become the norm, and it's now a defining feature of successful companies that they can retool their supply chains faster than their competitors can. And as Mick mentioned earlier, the cloud-based visibility system that Lenovo put in place was a major enabler of that agility. The key takeaway here is that the best organizations put a premium on being agile and responsive to whatever happens, instead of clinging to the illusion that they can predict the future.
1: It's really interesting. The last couple of years, I've done a lot of work on strategy. And, you know, Mm -hmm. in in the environment now, you try putting a three-year strategy together, it's virtually impossible. And I use that word, (laughs) I use that impossible (laughs) word. But it is very difficult to put together the three-year strategy. In an environment where everything's changing every three, six, nine, 12 months, it's almost easier now to look at a series of sort of potential outcomes, you know, scenario planning and work out your strategy on the basis of potential outcomes. If this happens, we could go in that direction. If this happens, we could go in that direction.
0: So agility is important for being able to respond to shifting market conditions. But agility is even more important during very sudden, unpredictable, catastrophic events. Make successfully managed Lenovo's supply chain through one of those potentially catastrophic events.
1: When the infamous Japanese tsunami, the issues in Japan, others suffered massively. In Lenovo, we built, already built, enormous flexibility into both our physical supply chain, our ability to make more of the things ourselves, and our procurement processes that meant that we suffered very, very little from that process. And that was all because we thought in a very, very agile way. and we, we always thought ahead about things that could happen almost scenario planning but not quite that in the way that we put things together.
0: During the um, that particular crisis, during the um, dim tsunami in, uh, earthquake in Japan, what role did your ability to have visibility of your extended supply chain play a role in the way you coped with that disaster?
1: I think that was when it really came into its own to be honest because we were able to, to really have an absolute pulse on where a product was and where our products were and The visibility we had in the finished goods chain was superb. It just it kept allowing us to keep a customer informed of where things were. It it maintained that customer trust. It allowed us, in in some cases, to re-divert product to the right people, to the people that needed it more than others. So I think that it's in times of crisis like that that visibility really, really does come to the fore.
0: And what visibility really means here is having the right information at the right time at the fingertips of the right people. Mick goes on to explain how many global organizations are still struggling with this very issue.
1: I was amazed. I was talking to a guy in the US the other day and he was talking about a bit of work that he'd seen done by one of the big top consultants where they talked to a load of organizations and tried to understand how many of those organizations felt that they had data available that allowed them to do you know, inverted commas, what-if analysis on something in their organization. And it was less than 20% that felt they had the capability and the data that would allow them to do a what-if analysis. And you think about those two words. Those two words, what-if, are absolutely essential you know, the way that things change, the way that, you know, almost on a three-monthly basis, you change in direction, you change your products, something else happens, technology enables something else. Unless you can do a what-if analysis on data, you are you're, you're stumbling around in the dark in reality.
0: And that's why Mick and his team really started to put a lot of focus on beefing up Lenovo's supply chain data and analytics capabilities.
1: Two, two and a half years ago, I moved from Running the logistics operations, logistics manufacturing operation to looking after supply chain strategy. And the first thing I did when I moved into that role was to create this supply chain analytics center of excellence. I took five guys who just loved playing with figures and loved playing with data and knew how to get data and basically just said, you know, you guys are going to be the forefront of just driving analytics and supply chain in the organization and i left them alone for you know for a long period of time in a locked room and fed them through a hole in the wall and and they sort of they come up with some amazing stuff just by looking at the data we had and they were identifying projects that were worth you know, multiple millions in terms of, you know, what happens when you change the number of days of inventory that you need in your VMI, because, you know, most VMI's, they have this sort of clip level, vendor-managed inventory into into manufacturing, they have this clip level of a number of days, and that clip level's never looked at for three months, and then it's adjusted. What they created was an opportunity and an ability to look at that on a dynamic basis and adjust it on a dynamic basis, and and look at a number of what-ifs with the data. And that is just one of the projects they looked at.
0: Make is actually describing a very common problem here that afflicts many organizations. Too often, a system of record, like an ERP, gets populated by default with standard lead times that have very little in common with actual lead times. And when the lead time for, say, a specific item from a supplier changes, and that happens all the time, the internal systems of record never get updated because they are not connected with the systems of all the partners who hold inventory or produce key components. So what ends up happening is that your internal systems are chronically out of sync with reality. And it's easy to see how that is very problematic in an industry where on-time delivery and perfect order fulfillment are key. And if you're a large global organization, there's no way you can do this manually you need a new kind of system of engagement, ideally a cloud-based system, that can automatically feed real-time data from your partner network back into your system of record. But anyways, it sounds like the team that Mick hired quickly honed in on the inherent weaknesses of a system that wasn't connected well with the outside world. And the outside world also started to play a larger role for Mick's organization in a very different but important way. Lenovo made a conscious decision to start to communicate more openly and confidently about its supply chain capabilities to analysts such as Gartner and to the larger supply chain industry ecosystem.
1: Jerry Smith and I had decided that we needed to have some sort of external recognition of what we'd done. We had a lot of internal recognition of what we'd done, and people felt great about that. But we recognized that, that external recognition, one, has an impact on the business. It makes the business look good it has an impact on the motivation of the people that are in the business. If they can see that the work that they've done is recognised externally, it's important for it to be recognised internally, obviously, and we did that. But we really did feel that we needed to try and drive that whole Gartner process. And we started to do a lot of work making sure that we were at conferences, we were represented at conferences, and we were putting our view across and putting a vision of what we were trying to do across to the marketplaces to customers without really trying to be over, you know, you can overdo that and it can become, well, all they do is ever speak about it. So we started to do that and we realized that we could use that process, telling the world about what we'd done. And we were quite a sort of introverted organization, to be honest, at the time. We didn't really tell people what we had done. that's part of the Chinese culture is you don't really say how well you've done, you sort of just do well. So we just decided it was a focal and We put together a strategy to really tackle some of the things that were maybe not giving us a positive set of responses in that Gardner process. We started at 55 or something like that. A year later, we were at 22, then we were 16, and we're now 14, and now we're 16. So it was a proactive and defined process for us to do it. There was a strategy behind it.
0: If Mick's whole concept around doing great things and talking about them without being what he calls a glory boy strikes a chord with you, you should really listen to part one of my interview with Mick, if you haven't already done so. Because Mick believes that positioning your supply chain capabilities internally and externally is a win-win, not only for your organization, but also for supply chain management as a profession. Just remember to heed Mick's advice, don't be a glory boy. In part three of my interview with Mick, we talk about the future of supply chain, and we go all in on a discussion about robots, drones, 3D printing, the Internet of Things, and why the future of supply chain management sits at the intersection of all of those big trends. Here's a quick sound bite.
1: I think supply chain now needs to sort of start to design itself to become the creative hub of most businesses.
0: Wow, the supply chain becoming the creative hub of most businesses. I love that idea. If you do too, make sure you tune in to that upcoming episode. Until then, I'm Boris Felgendreer and you've been listening to Supply Chain Radio.